very humbled and honored to stand before you today, um, to stand in this pulpit uh, where Pastor Lee um, has stood so many times and the other great leaders of this church. To be able to stand here is something that I don't take lightly. So pray for me. And I just pray that when we leave here tonight, that what will be said is what a powerful Christ. Uh, I love to tell the story of a gentleman that went to church. And his friend asked him, what do you think about the service? And he said, man, what a powerful speaker. And the next night they went hear Charles Spurgeon preach and they asked him, What do you think about the church? And he said, what a powerful Christ. Let us leave churches with what a powerful Christ. Because he's so beautiful. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to open up in the book of Matthew. It's something that I enjoy teaching and preaching about. uh, The Sermon on the Mount. And I want to share that with you tonight. Just a little bit of that on my heart. I thank God for you, First New Testament Church. How you so beautiful lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. And when you're there, everybody say amen on a Wednesday night in Baton Rouge. Amen. This is known as the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts off with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed Or the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And tonight, our main emphasis is going to be in verse 6. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I want to speak with you tonight a, a message titled, Starving Equals Happiness. Starving equals happiness. In the book of Matthew, uh, we read in the beginning that Jesus was born and he grew and comes on the scene with John the Baptist and that great proclamation, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And a voice came from heaven The dove appeared and said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. If we want to know what pleases God, I I hate to tell you tonight, FNT, it's not me and you that pleases God. It's his son, Jesus. And if you want to please God, and as a Christian, that is the primary beat of our heart is to please God. If you want to please God... You need to be wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in Jesus because that's what pleases God. And it's interesting after this monumental moment of this voice, the dove, John the Baptist with the proclamation, what happens to Jesus? He's led into the wilderness to be tempted 
by the devil. And he comes out victorious and he goes in and the scripture tells us that he went out in all the synagogues teaching and preaching and doing miracles. The scriptures tells us that all the books in all the world could not record if we were to record the miracles that he did. And the Bible says that the multitudes begin to come. I, I love that. In my mind, I just picture... Um, You think about some of those old crusades that you watch on TV of of Jimmy Swaggart and Billy Graham and all those amazing crusades that are over there and overseas. And they show that camera shot and those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people just coming to the altar. I just am amazed and I think about in the multitudes and seeing the multitudes come that, that Jesus went up on a mountain and he began to teach what I believe is the most powerful teaching, in my opinion, of all the Bible. Now, one thing I want to tell you about the Beatitudes, there's five things that I want to tell you about the Beatitudes. What we're fixing to talk about tonight is that every Christian, everybody say every Christian, is to have, not all, you don't have to say that. (laughs) Every Christian is to have every Beatitude. And guess what? Every beatitude is for every Christian. Third thing, we're not talking about a natural uh, disposition. I'll explain what that means. Number four, the beatitudes show you and I how different we are than the world. Not better, but I do have to say something, church. We are not better than anybody, but we are different. It's impossible to come to Jesus and stay the same. Let me tell you something. When you get born again, you change. And guess what? You are being changed. But you cannot stay the same once you come to know Jesus. And the fifth thing is the Beatitudes tell us that we belong to a different kingdom. Now, this is a confusing thing in the church world today is that when we just do a study like this, there are portions of people that I believe that they think that certain aspects of the Bible are for elite Christians. Let me give you some. I'm from Sanamon, Louisiana, not St. Amant, it's Sanamon. <laughs> Let me give you some Sanamon uh, right hot off the press. There is no such thing as elite Christians. Or an elite Christian. Now there are different functions in the body of Christ. But what this church does such a beautiful job. Of showing how important the body is. And how Pastor Lee and all the ministers um, teach and preach that. Um, There's not an aspect of this Bible that is for Pastor Lee. That he's supposed to be like this. Or Pastor Andrew or Pastor Felix or Pastor Joe or Pastor Evan. And, and, you know, that's for them guys, but uh, it's not for me. Sorry. If you are a Christian, this applies to you. So there's a great challenge in the scripture. I love how Pastor Lee says this. The cross of Christ wrecks your life. Let me tell you something. Ever since I got saved, my life has been a mess. Now, what I mean by that is my old life. The cross of Christ ruins your life. The old life. And I'll tell you, born again, 
I have asked you this question. Do you hate? Yes, I said the word hate. Do you hate your old man? That old man that has caused you so many problems. That old man that, that, that pushes you in directions and has caused so much turmoil in this world. Because the Christian life is all about the new man. The Bible says that we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. This new life is, a, this, this life is about this new man in Christ Jesus. And it's walking towards Christ all about this new man. And so these scriptures here are talking to you and it's talking to me. And Jesus sat down and he said blessed. That word simply means happy. All of the world wants to be happy. I don't think there's anybody in the world that woke up this morning and said I just want to be miserable. I hope my life is miserable, and I hope that my marriage is miserable, and I hope my job is miserable, and I hope my health is miserable. If someone thinks like that, they have some serious issues in their life. The whole world wants to be happy. You know what's interesting? Jesus talked about happiness very different than how the world thinks about happiness. And even very different than how, it's sad to say, some of the church talks about happiness so i think everybody in here tonight wants to be happy let's look at what jesus said happiness is he said blessed happy or the poor in spirit now it doesn't mean poor in your pocketbook um there's been you you can't you know simply say well i'm going to get rid of my bed and i'm not going to get an air condition and i'm going to go live you know, under a bridge, and I'm going to beat myself into this poverty, into this poorness. That's not what the scripture's talking about. It says, poor in spirit. That in the spirit, we're talking about facing God tonight. In performance based Christianity, we have created these standards that, well, you know, this is a good person, and that's a, he's a little bit better, and he's a little bit better, and then. God forbid somebody walks in the room that's had a rough life and we're thinking, oh, that person. See, we create standards of what we think are good and this and that. But I like to say it like this. I'm not a basketball player, but um, Jesus walked up to the free throw line, to the three-point line with a basketball. And he took 100 shots and he made 100 out of 100. And not only did he make 100 out of 100, he hit nothing but the bottom of the net. Because see, perfect is perfect. Something that's 99.999% pure gold is not pure gold. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is pure. So if, so to say, there was a human being that could walk up to the three-point line and hit 100 out of 100, it would have to be nothing but the net. If it hit the back of the rim on the 100th shot and Jigged it, you know, jigged it a little bit and then went in. Not, not perfect. Well, the thing is, what about the person that walks up and can't even hit the goal one time? What about the person that walks up and hits 80 out of 100? It doesn't matter. To be perfect, you've got to be perfect. So I like to say this when I'm talking with the youth. Um, anybody want the basketball? Ethan, you, you like to play basketball. How do you like those odds? To hit 100 out of 100. 
<laughs> I expect Ethan to say that. <laughs> Guys, if that's what has to happen, we're doomed. Perfect. But there was one that stood there, and by my faith, by my association, he gives me that perfection. I don't even have to take a shot. The Bible says that we're more than conquerors. We've all seen Rocky, right? So Rocky trained and Rocky got beat up. His face looked like it was just martyred and just... But, you know, his wife, Adrian, didn't train an hour, didn't take a punch. Because she was married to Rocky, she took part in being the heavyweight champion of the world. She, 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 she was able to take on all the benefits of that victory. That's you and I. We're more than a conqueror. I never had to take a shot. But I am victorious, redeemed, bought with a price, and on my way to heaven. That ought to make you happy. So the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you see yourself as that? I'm not talking about standing in front of your brother who has had a rough life and, you know, maybe your cousin or your guy you graduated with that, you know, we've all in church on a Wednesday night and they're all, you know, at karaoke at, you know, the bar down the street. We're not, we're not talking about facing them. We're talking about facing God. That standing in front of God spiritually we are utterly beggars. We're utterly in poverty. We're, we have nothing to give him within ourselves. Jesus says that's the kind of people that are kingdom people. There are no people in the kingdom. There will be no people in the kingdom that were not poor in spirit. He went on to say blessed are those that mourn. Now that, that doesn't mean mourning like when your cat dies or maybe a relative or something, or you lost a job or this like that. It means mourning over your sinful condition. Because let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. But one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be our convictor. And if we can sin and sin and sin and do what I want and say what I want, live how I want, and there is no conviction... I would really ask you to consider some a lot of things in your life. Now, be sure you don't let that conviction turn into condemnation. There's a reason for conviction. Conviction so you can repent. And then once you repent, there the comforter comes. But it's funny how Jesus said, we're, we mourn, but we're comforted. We mourn, but we're comforted. But think of how opposite that sounds. How can a mourner be comforted? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a word we don't really hear a lot in the natural world. But it's interesting how Jesus, that's the way he described himself, is blessed of the meek. He said, I'm meek and lowly at heart. Now, remember I said in the beginning, one of the five things we talked about is that I'm not talking about a natural disposition. See, some of us are just quiet people. Like some of us are loud people. Some of us are quiet people. There's a guy in the gym where I work out at, and I think he just goes there for all of us to hear his life. He just talks real loud, you know. 
And I don't have, I'm not up to par with all the headphones and all that, so I don't have that. So I've got to hear him every day, you know. Um, But some of us are quiet. We're not talking about quiet people. We're talking about something that the Spirit of God creates in us. A meek person is a person that, um, it's controlled strength. It's a person that knows when to shut his mouth and when to speak. And I need help with that. James would say, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Meekness is a person that's done with self. Meekness is a person that is done with self-reliance, done with self, uh, you know, this, self, that, self, that. And, and guys, I don't know about you, but, but, but self is a major problem for Keith Babin. A major problem. But Jesus said that's the kind of person that would inherit the earth. Now, the culture that he was talking to at down, these people were following Jesus. And we learned, we hear and see in the book of John where the multitudes followed and, and um, got to a point in John chapter 6 where Jesus said that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And the scripture says that many people that they followed him no more. People were following Jesus for the miracles. They were following Jesus for the great power that he, that he would overthrow Rome. They would make themselves a great nation and, and liberate us. And so for him to say, blessed are the meek, this multitude of people would have been scratching their head going, wait a second. Meekness? I don't know about that. These first three beatitudes really rips the rug out from under our feet and knocks us on the ground. But I'm so glad that the gospel doesn't leave us there. There's a form of negative in preaching that has to be talked about for the positive to make sense. So these first three beatitudes show me and you our desperate, desperate need. Keith, what's the answer? I mean, poor in spirit, mourn, meekness. This this beatitude next in verse 6 is the answer to the problem it's blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness Jesus said for that's the kind of people that I'm going to fill and a result of that filling a result of hungering and thirsting after righteousness is that me and you will be merciful people Sometimes we can make a law out of verse 7. In other words, some people will say, well, if you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. We've all said that. But really what this scripture means is if you understand poor in spirit, if you understand that you've got to make a hundred out of a hundred and nothing but the net, and you can't do that, and God has given you mercy... Because you have received the mercy, we will be a people that gives mercy. Well, Keith, what about the people that have done me wrong? There are situations in life where you were innocent. A lot of times we're not. Somebody horribly did you wrong. They were guilty and you were not. I know it's a tough situation to talk about, think about. 
But as long as we are looking at that, it's going to be very difficult to extend mercy in a situation. And the only way that will be able to be done is we have to turn around and look at that cross and know what Jesus Christ did for me and the mercy that he gave me. And only then can I immensely turn around and face a situation of a great wrong. The Bible says the blessed of the pure in heart. This is what blows my mind. The Bible tells me that my heart is wicked. It's deceitful. It's desperately wicked. The Bible says out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornications, etc., etc. The Bible tells me that I have to have a pure heart to see God. That has got to be the ultimate desire of a Christian to see God. And I know I don't have a pure heart. But by faith and by grace, God gives me a pure heart. Have you seen Jesus? Literally, guys, have you seen him? I've seen him. I'm not talking about in the natural. I've seen his grace. I've seen his beauty. I've seen his, I've seen his presence. How Pastor Lee talks about, can you taste him? Have you ever just been in the presence of God and, 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 and you don't want it to end and you look at the clock and it's like, man, it's like an hour has been by and you, and you got to go to work and you're like, I don't want to go to work because I just, I just want to spend time with, with, with Christ. I've seen him. A pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's the kind of people that are called sons of God. The number one thing we need, the number one peace that we need to make is with God. Are you born again? You know, we sometimes think that just because we're in church, that everybody in church is born again. I don't believe that. Nicodemus was a man that just wasn't in church. He was running a church. The Bible says that he was a ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus told not someone sitting on the back row checking his watch, seeing when he was running it. It was his deal. And when Jesus said, you must be born again, this runner of a church said, how can a man go back into his mama's belly And be born again. He had no clue what he was talking about. And Jesus said, well, yeah, you you have to be born of water, a natural birth. Some people teach that means baptism. It does not. But you must be born of the Spirit. For God's power to work in your life, you have to be born again. You can go to church seven days a week. You can fast, you can do all kind of things, but if you don't have that second birth, if you don't have that divine nature inside of you, there is no power of God available to you. You have to be born again. So we need to make peace with God, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith. How do we make peace with God? It's by faith. The war is over. I speak with a lot of people and they say, Keith, man, look, I'm glad you're passionate about that. That's good for you. I'm not really interested in that. I don't really care. I'm not anti you or anti this. But, you know, I just do me, you do you. What they don't understand is it doesn't really matter what the world says like that. 
God is at war. The Bible says we're, we're at enmity. You're at enmity with God. God is at war with sin. So as far as being a peacemaker, we better make sure we have peace with God, but then also peace with man. Now, peace does not mean we go alone to get alone. Peace does not mean that, that we're just, you know, this person that says yes to ten different things and all of them contradict one another. That's not a peacemaker. But we are a person that is not okay with just like letting the dog lie. In other words, like there's an issue in the family. There's an issue with a friend. There's an issue with a church member. You know, in Matthew, it talks about that when they would bring the sacrifice to the priest and that you would go and you remember that you have ought with your brother. Now, we've got to realize how important the sacrificial system was in the Old Testament. For that was the way those people, that was the way sin was dealt with. That was a big deal, bringing that sacrifice for the priest to sacrifice it. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, if you went to do that and you remembered that you had ought with your brother... How important is that? He said, lay that. Now, that, guys, that's important. That's how sin, sin would not be eradicated, but sin could only be uh, covered. Sin couldn't be taken away. But that was the stop, get measure until Jesus Christ would die. But Jesus said in the New Testament, if you remember, you need to lay your gift down, go make it right with your brother, then come back and offer your sacrifice. What does that mean in termination? You could be... In church, worshiping God, praying, and everything else. God is so concerned about people and so concerned about relationships that until, um, it may be kind of a bold statement, but um, it might be possible that God doesn't even hear our praise because that's how important it is. To go make things right with people. Because he said. Leave your gift. Go make it right. Come back and offer up. Your sacrifice. Or you're a peacemaker. I don't know about you. But um, I'm not saying walking around on eggshells. But. Um, as a Christian. I don't want to cause anybody. To stumble. Remember I said one of the five things about the Beatitudes that shows us how different we are. The world don't care. The world will let things linger and linger. I've heard of situations where families go 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Don't talk to their brothers and sisters. Kids don't talk to parents. As a Christian, we can't do that. It should bother you that it's not peace. Now, you may not always get peace from the situation from the other person because there's two parties involved. But a Christian, a child of God is a person... That is a peacemaker. And what is the result of living like this? Verse 10. You're going to be persecuted. Religion hates. Relationship. Religious people would have a problem. With. Biblical. True biblical teaching. It wasn't the drug addict or the whore. Or the murderer that killed Jesus Christ. It was the religious. 
I know I joke with Phil a lot. We'll go places and his, I know, I know when he, I said this last time, I know when he's doing it. I see it in his eye. I'm like, here we go. He'll ask the waitress or somebody, if you died tonight, where would you go and why? And I'm just always interested to hear the answers. Well, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've never really done, you know, I mean, we all got our issues, right? But I mean, I go to heaven. That right there is a sign that a person doesn't understand a hundred out of a hundred. Well, Keith, what would you say if somebody asked you that question? I'd say two things and only two things. Heaven, Jesus. Well, your preacher has nothing to do with it. You never drank alcohol in your life. Nah, that has nothing to do with it. Kept your virginity till you were 25 years old. That has nothing to do with it. Never did drugs. Has nothing to do with it. Heaven, Jesus. And the Bible says that by living like this, you're going to be persecuted. Now, in this country, we don't see persecution like other places. But if we were living this way in other countries, you know, our persecution is somebody would not friend us on Facebook. And we feel like, you know, we need Prozac or something like that, you know. Life is really tough. But it also says this, you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. I've had a time in my life where I thought I was doing the Bible, but I was actually being persecuted because I was being a very difficult person. Let me give you an example. One Christmas, I was on fire for God when I was young. I mean, family was in the front of the house, but Keith was going to go back to the his old room at my mama's house and put on some Christian music while the family's in the kitchen. And one of my sisters came back in the room and said, what are you doing? She was just checking on me. I said, I'm just listening to this music. And she's like, oh, that's nice. That's pretty. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Kind of want to get on, you know, get out. You know, I'm spending time with God, you know, Um, separating from my family. And uh, my other sister walks down the hall and says, what are y'all doing? And I'm like, I'm just listening to this music. And um, my one sister says to the other, well, kind of, that sounds like you, Pam, because my sister sings. She used to sing at weddings. And I looked at her and I said, oh, no, this is anointed by God, and what you do is of the devil. And they looked at each other and they said, Keith, we know that we're not as good as you. And they walked down the hall and... I was like, you know, Lord, I'm a warrior for you. I'm going to stand for you. I don't care if nobody likes me. I'm going to stand for you. You know, thank God for grace. About five years later, I don't know how it happened, but the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, hey, Keith, you remember that that time at Christmas? I just want you to know that wasn't me. And so I went back to my sisters and I apologized to him. They didn't even know what I was talking about. But I had to say I was sorry. Because I misrepresented Jesus. Let us make sure if there is persecution, if there is something that's going on, that it's for righteousness sake. But this is like bookends of what a Christian is. He started off poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom. And everything in the middle, this is talking about the character 
of a Christian. Not the character of an elite Christian, but the character of a Christian. And in studying this, the climax to me is verse 6. And that's really what I hope we leave here tonight with is verse 6. Blessed, happy are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus said, that's the kind of people that I'm going to feel. Is your Christian life, is my Christian life mundane? Is it I'm up and I'm down and I'm, I'm running to this conference and I'm running to that conference and I'm looking for this and I'm reading this new bestseller and I'm, doing, I'm, look, I'm searching for this experience. The world is searching for happiness in drugs, alcohol, popularity, fame. I'm, I'm a real big Deion Sanders fan. and I never forget his testimony. He said... Um, We'd won a Super Bowl, and I bought myself a Lamborghini. And I um, drove it off a cliff. He tried to kill himself. And he didn't die. Now, listen to me. I love sports. It's not that this man was playing baseball at the church baseball league or the flag football at the fraternity at LSU. This, This human being... Played in the NFL and the major leagues. And not just played, he actually performed at a high level. Multimillionaire, gifted amongst gifts of talent. Why would a person like that try to take his life? If, you know, somebody thinks, the world thinks that this is foolish... And they really don't realize that when they say that, they're really proving the Bible right. Because the Bible says that this is foolishness. Jesus is no different than Santa Claus at Easter Bunny. You're right. To you, yeah. The, the, Bible, the Bible tells me that you're going to talk like that. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Oh, but F and T for those that are saved... It's the power of God. The Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but of every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So let's put the Bible to the side, world. Money, fame, talent, whatever you else want to call go, that goes with that. Why does a man like that try to take his life? Because he's empty. The video that played Sunday morning about the shoebox ministry, there was the girl that was talking. She said, being hungry is something you can't put into words. I don't think me and you really understand hunger. Like, like think about it. Like, if we're hungry, like some of you are probably hungry and ready for me to be quiet. But you're going to eat in a little while. I don't think there's anybody in here. And here's the beautiful thing. If there was somebody that did not have access to food tonight, somebody would help you have food. I think we understand this scripture better if we would say this. Blessed are those that are starving to death and thirsting to death for righteousness. For those kind of people, 
will be filled. What, what is righteousness? What are we talking about? We're not talking about being moral. You don't have to be saved to be moral. There's actually people that are not even in church that are not born again that are nicer than me and you. And you know what? That's not good. Like, I don't say that in the sense of like, that's ah, okay. There are people that love their wives better than some Christians. There are people that love their husbands better than some Christians. Work jobs honestly. Pay their taxes. Love their kids better than some Christians. So we're not talking about morality. Now I'm not saying those things. That's Thank God for the grace of God. So we're not talking about morality. We're not even just talking about justification. Although it does mean that. But I also believe that it means your sanctification. And how is all this going to be dealt with? It would be like as if. We went over to a friend's house and he was cleaning his pool and there was a fountain that was running into the pool that was putting green and yellow and brown gook water into the pool. And he's over here trying to clean it while the while the fountain is dumping all that in it. We would really kind of go tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, uh, you're, you're wasting your time. To get this righteousness, somebody's got to shut the fountain off. That fountain of sin that is flowing in the heart of the man. And that justification, guess what happened? By faith, you were delivered from the penalty of sin. Jesus went off and turned the fountain off. By faith. And God declares you not guilty. Not only declare you're not guilty, he declares you legally innocent. You can go to court and the judge can tell you that you're innocent, but that don't mean you legally innocent. They just couldn't convict you. But in the mind of God, by faith, when you accept what Jesus Christ did for you, he declares you're not guilty, legally innocent. And not only that, he looks at you as if you've never done the wrong. And not only that, he looks at you as perfect. Now what I mean by perfect is your position. You're in Christ. And you can't get more perfect than being in Christ. And how did you get into Christ? By faith. Romans 6. When Christ died, Keith died. When Christ was buried, Keith was buried. And when Christ rose from the dead to walk in newness life, a new man, a new woman, a new church... Walk to walk in new rose to walk in newness life. We're talking about that righteousness. We want to have that righteousness. And by faith you can have that. But I also believe that the righteousness here believes your sanctification. Now we need to know that sin does not kick us out of the family of God. But I'll tell you what sin does. It robs your joy. David said in Psalms 51. Take, um, restore unto me. The joy of my salvation. Sin robs your joy. Doesn't rob your position in the family. But no Christian can have joy when sin is dominating their life. Yes, we're saved, but I want to take it to the next step. Are you hungering and thirsting, starving to death? 
for that righteousness. That righteousness that, yes, I was delivered from the penalty of sin, but God, I'm starving to death to be delivered from the power of sin. And I know that when I get to eternity that I'm going to be delivered from the presence of sin. But that is all given to us right now. That is, that is really a fact. We are right now delivered from the penalty, the power, and the presence. It may not be a complete reality, but here's what we are. We are, we are perfect yet being perfected. Um, that is what Jesus did for us. The same cross that saves you. Is the same cross that sanctifies you. And it's by faith. The prodigal son, when he was hungry, he was okay with eating the husk of the pig. Oh, but when he got starving, he went to the father. Are you starving for this righteousness? Are you thirsting? For this righteousness. Jesus said. That's the kind of people. That I'm going. To fill. Well how does it work. It happens instantly. Instantly. I mean you can walk into this church. And you can have one heck of a day. One heck of a week. One heck of a month. One heck of a year. And the presence of God can hit this place. And for some reason you just feel I'm being filled. And guess what? It's such a feeling that it's not like, oh, I got filled and that's good. No, no, it's a feeling and you want to be filled more. And you want to be filled more. And you want to be filled more. And then you hunger more and you thirst more and you hunger more and you thirst more. And you're filled and you hunger and you thirst. It's a life of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And Jesus said, that's the kind of people that I'm going to feel. Singers and musicians, you can make your way up. Let us make sure that we're not hungry and thirsting after blessedness. Let us make sure that we're not hungry and thirsting after happiness. That's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed, happy are the people that are starving to death, thirsting to death for righteousness. I will fill that kind of person. What about the blessedness and the happiness? That's a result of the righteousness, the beauty of Christ. Let us make sure we don't mix it up. You're hungry and thirsting, filled and satisfied, but guess what? You're longing for more. I can't get enough of Jesus. I've never been high on drugs. I've never been drunk. I lived a pretty good moral life. At eight years old at Santa Monica Baptist Church, something happened to me. I'm 49 years old. And my life has never been the same. Does somebody know what I'm talking about? So we hunger and thirst. We're filled and we're satisfied. But guess what? We're longing for more. Never having enough. 
I don't know what it's like to be high. But I know what it's like to touch Jesus. I don't know what that kind of stuff does to you. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, I hope you will learn what this kind of stuff does to you. Because it's so glorious. Just a couple questions as we close tonight. Are you filled? Are you filled? Are you blessed in this sense? I'm not talking about how much money we got in the bank. Are you blessed in this sense? Are you blessed from the result of being filled because we're starving for righteousness? Are you hungry and thirsty? I can't think of any other scripture in the Bible, in my opinion, than this scripture, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. If this scripture is not an important scripture, if you're like, ah, I don't really, it's not really a big deal to me. I would ask you to really examine your life. Because he said, I'm going to feel that type of person. Why don't you stand to your feet? Aren't you so glad that God just does it? He does it. He fills you. Now, I know that there's needs in this house. There's many a needs. Anytime people get together, there's needs. But Jesus said in these Beatitudes, that's what he called happy people. How different is that a lot from us? So these altars are open.